0: Well, good morning, everybody, to uh, our Sunday morning service. Thanks for deciding to spend a, a few minutes with us this morning. And last week, we began a short series entitled The Mission. It's concerning the mission of our church and really what should be the mission of every church worldwide. I, we believe every church needs to be preparing and discipling and teaching their people to do three things. We believe to love God, to love people, and then to go out and serve the world. Now, I said last week it was gonna be a three-week series, but something happened this week magically that turned it into a six-week series leading right into Easter. I, didn't even, I don't even know how it happened, it just happened. Well, really, I, I do know how it happened. It happened that on Monday, I decided I wanted to add another week to the Love God segment of the Love God, Love People, Serve the World. And I said, after that, I said, okay, we'll make it four weeks, then I said, Hey, there's also a few things I want to say about loving people too a little bit more than I had planned. All of a sudden, it was a six-week series. So there you go. Well, last week we began talking about loving God with uh, a message about God's love for you. Remember the verse that we uh, were highlighting? It was Ephesians chapter three and verse seventeen, and it said this: "It said, I pray that you and this is Paul." Paul, wishing and hoping and praying uh, fervently for the, for, for the people at Ephesus, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of of God. All the fullness of God begins when we understand the depth and breadth of the love of God. And of course, you can't really talk about the love of God without talking about the cross, because the ultimate demonstration of love is when someone gives their life for you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Christ died for me and he died for you that is the ultimate demonstration of love friend you we are loved by god and how can i put this simply that god that loves you wants you to love him back he's created you and he loves you and he wants you to love him back In his best-selling book, The Five Love Languages, Gary Chapman writes about five love languages by which he believes people communicate love. He suggests in the book that there is a distinct and very personal way that every person shows love and receives love. Everyone is different. The chances are, if you are married, that your partner responds to a different language than you do. Chapman breaks it down this way. He said that some people uh, communicate or respond to words of affirmation. That's how they love. That's how they send love out. That's how they receive love. I love you. You did that better than anybody I've, I've ever seen do it. You're a great mom. She works like that. Some people, when given just a bit of affirmation, man, they're good to go for another month. Other, than resp- other people respond, uh, their love language is physical affection, not necessarily sexual in nature, but a hug, a-, a squeeze of their hand communicates love to them. I personally think a lot of people give and receive love by touch. I, I-, I do that. I give, I give love by, by grabbing onto somebody. And if you're a guy, you may get a, a hard slap in the back <laughs> by me, but it's not because I'm trying to hurt you. It's because I love you. Others respond to uh, gift-giving, Chapman says. You don't have to get them a new laptop necessarily, but simple, thoughtful little gifts to them will make their day. For other people, acts of service are the way that you can express love to them. If, if I brought uh, my wife Marianne flowers, you know what she would say? She would say, thank you so much. They, they, they're beautiful. But if I vacuum the house, I get a... Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) It's her love language. I know that's acts of service. And then he says others respond to quality time, spending time not glued to the phone, but either engaged in meaningful conversation or just being together with someone. Sometimes someone just wants your presence. Chapman believes that there are various ways love is communicated, flowing out, flowing in. His argument is that to have a healthy relationship, you need to learn your partner's love language and communicate love in a way that speaks to the one loved. It's doubtful if you're ever going to have a real satisfying relationship if you never learn how to love someone. Having clearly, I hope clearly, communicated last week that God loves you, The question today is how we respond to God's great love for us. How do you love God? What is God's love language? In any relationship, when you love someone, you're going to find ways to express that love. New, innovative, personal ways to express your affection. And there is a word in the Bible when talking about expressing our love for God. It's a word a lot of times that we misunderstand. So a lot of people don't use it. It is the word worship. What is this thing that the Bible calls worship? The word basically has to do with ascribing high worth to someone or to something, honoring them, expressing intangible ways, our love and our adoration and our praise for them or it because of who they are or what they've done. God created us, I believe the Bible says, to worship. Worship. When we worship, it fills a hole in our hearts somehow. Shortly before he passed away, the legendary Ray Charles gave a final interview in which he admitted that his faith had waned for most of his life, and that in particular, he never understood all the, quote, hooping and hollering that he saw people engaged in in church. But then, in his twilight years, he said, he now understood that it wasn't God who needed to hear the whooping and hollering, but it was we who needed to do it, to praise something or someone greater than ourselves, and that doing so is a normal part of human experience. That's what he said. You know, I think he was right, that there is something so normal in worship, something so natural to the human experience, and so we will worship. We will worship God or we'll worship other things. I've seen at any number of events down through the years which we would not consider conventional worship, uh, looking at those things, but, but when I, I think back at them, they really were. They really were worship. Young girls swooning at the mere glimpse of the Beatles or Elvis or NSYNC or Justin Bieber or rabid fans of JFK, Ronald Reagan, or Obama. When you go to a football game, you're amongst worshipers, people who glory when their team's name is lifted high above the others in the league, who mourn with every loss and give full-throated, feet-stomping, hand clapping approval with every first down gained. Now, you might say that we have a predisposition, and I think we do, as human beings to worship. And the fact of the matter is that for everyone listening here and for everyone Everywhere, really, there is a desire to lift high someone who is bigger and smarter and who encompasses things that we admire and love and feel we could maybe never achieve. See, people will worship. We will worship. There is a yearning, something deep within us that desires to worship every bit as much as there is a sense of eternity in the hearts of every man and every woman alive. Worship is in the heart of men and women, and so we worship. Ray Charles was right. God does not need our worship, but listen, he desires it because it is the way that we tell him that we love him. An important set of verses that define worship and how we love God is found in Romans chapter 12 pleasing and perfect will. Couple things about worship. Notice that worship is my response to God's mercy, Paul says. That's what worship is. It, it is at its core, a response. Paul says, in view of or because of God's great mercy, and Paul is saying basically this listen folks in view of God's mercy and his love rooted in his pity for you who were suffering in sin you who uh you know who were hopeless you need to take stock of things and think how should i respond how should i respond to this great mercy folks he's saying God took the initiative to reach down to you in your confusion and heavy heartedness and hopelessness and he saved you he forgave you. He blessed you. He protects you. All those things. So, Paul says, is there anything you'd like to say? <laughs> anything you could think of to do? And you can almost anticipate the response. Well, yeah, I, I guess so, Paul. I, I, I guess I'd like to say, God, you're great. God you're faithful. Lord, you have been so merciful to me. So I'd like to say, thank you. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for now. Thank you for promising to watch me as I step into the future. And thank you that one day you're going to take me to live with you forever. Thank you. Yeah, Paul, I think that's what I'd like to say. I'd like to say thank you inextricably tied to our worship is saying thanks. Whenever you say thank you to God, you're praising him for his goodness. You're praising him for his faithfulness, for his kindness, for his virtues, his character. So when you do that, you're literally entering into worship and that brings pleasure to God. It's it's saying to God, I love you. You know, when your kids are grateful to you and. Uh, You know, they set the table without you having to ask or or they clean up their room. As a parent, you sit back and you just marvel. (laughs) It brings pleasure to you, doesn't it? When we're grateful to our Heavenly Father and offer tangible evidence of thanks, that brings pleasure to God. But Paul here takes another step. He says, And would you like to know the best way to say thanks? You just said you, you need to say thanks. That's great. That's fantastic. You want to know the best way to say it? He says, offer your bodies. Now, the word used there to means to place something at one's disposal. Oh, my car broke down. No worries. We have one uh, we don't use very much. The neighbor says, here, we, we'd like it to be at your disposal. We'd like you to, to use it for as long as you need it. Paul is saying, You are grateful for all God has done. Good. You need to be. Now, do one more thing to show God that you love Him. Offer your lives up to God to do with your life what He wants to do. If you really are thankful, if you really want to say, I love you, Lord, then you will put yourselves at His disposal. Don't worry you will not be sorry. Herein lies the difference between those who are intrigued by the thought of worship and those who really enter into it. And this offering of our bodies, placing ourselves as God's disposal as a way of showing him our love, takes on a very specific form. Fortunately, we we have some very specific instructions on how to do that and how to offer our bodies in Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12 and verse 28, we see a very interesting exchange and it goes like this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating Jesus and some others. They were always trying to catch him, you know that. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. When we place ourselves at God's disposal, we show that we love him. Jesus, in this passage, outlined the parameters of what that exactly will look like. Jesus mentions three ways for those who have given themselves to God to love him. First, God wants me to love him thoughtfully, with with my mind, with all of my mind. Second, God wants me to love him passionately, with all my heart, with all my soul. And third, he says, I want you to love me practically, with all your strength, with all your abilities that I have given you. God wants you to receive his love and to love him back. See, the truth is that even though uh, God created the entire world and the universe and he created you, there are three things that God who has everything actually doesn't have unless you give them to him. He doesn't have your inten- attention unless you give it to him. That's loving God thoughtfully with your mind. He doesn't have your affection unless you give that to him. That's loving God passionately with your heart and with your soul. And God doesn't have your ability unless you give that to him. That's loving God practically with your strength. We love God back when we begin to incorporate these things into our relationship with him. Let's take them one at a time. I love God back when I focus my thoughtful attention, my mind, on him. I need to focus my mind and my thoughts on God. When you do, when I do, I begin to love him back. You know, in, in a lot of religions, the idea of worship is to put your mind into neutral, sort of lose your mind to the universe. But the truth is, God wants us to express our love for him through our worship of him thoughtfully. It takes getting our mind focused on God. Not just going through the motions, but really, really thinking about it, which isn't always easy to do, right? I know. I mean, it's easy to go through the motions without giving it much thought. How many times have you prayed or worshipped? You're singing a song, uh, and and, and you're saying the words on the screen, but you're thinking something else. I mean, how many times have I done this? You're mouthing, Lord, I lift your name on high. But if you sang what you were really thinking, it would have been, Lord, I can't stand Anthony. And you're looking at him over there in the next, you know, the seats over there because of something that he said or something that he did. It takes energy and attention to focus on God to really, you know, when we see something, to really think about what it means to focus our attention on him. And, you know, when we focus on God, we're just doing what he does to us. Did you know that? Did you know that when we focus on God, we're just doing what He does for us every single day? Look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139 says this, You have looked deep into my heart, Lord, and you know all about me. You know when I am resting. You know when I'm working. You notice everything I do and everywhere I go. God has focused His attention on you. Did you know that? He never takes his eyes off you. He never stops thinking about you. And the reason is he made you and he loves you. He made you to give you his attention. And the greatest expression of love is that attention. You know, I've heard guys say sometimes, you know, uh, my wife and kids, they say, you know, they say I don't love them. But I do things for them. I work every day for them. Why don't they feel loved by me? Well, maybe because of an attention deficit, (laughs) because they want your attention. Attention is an incredible expression of love. And God puts his attention constantly on you. We need to do the same toward him. But listen. We have to acknowledge first that we're very easily distracted. Are you distracted easily? I'm distracted easily. I mean I look I'm even looking around in here and uh, you know, things things are going off and stuff and I I, I have to remember that, you know, I'm speak I'm speaking to you. (laughs) We're usually distracted by just a million things. A lot of times it has to do with our needs. The needs of those around us, you know, we're praying and we start thinking about, you know, this we have to cook and, the, and you know, so-and-so. And we have to drive this so-and-so and all stuff like that. We get distracted so easily. And the best way to quiet down the distractions I have found so that you can focus your attention on God is by establishing a daily time with him. Same time every day. Doesn't matter when you do it, but you got to decide I'm going to stop everything else and just focus on God and just be with God, to talk to God, to read his word. The Bible talks about that in Matthew chapter six. It says this find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense His grace. You may need to rise up at an ungodly hour before all the noise starts, which starts pretty early, right? You may need to lock yourself away in the bathroom if you, if you have to. I, I, I read one time, I'll never forget, I read one time of a sweet mother in a third world country who lived in a tiny little small dwelling with children and husband and, and just all kinds of activity all the time. And in order to focus her thoughtful attention to God, she would literally flip her apron up over her head for a few minutes so that she could have private time with Jesus. If you hope to focus your thoughtful attention on God, you're going to need to have a distraction-free time. When you find that place and that time, you are expressing your love for God. You're loving God back. But the thoughtful attention to God is not confined to your kitchen table at 6 a.m., Thoughtful attention to God will mean developing a constant conversation with God, loving Him back with a constant, you know, conversation all throughout the day. Just think and converse with Him throughout the day. Isaiah chapter 26 says this, You will keep in perfect peace who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. When you focus on yourself, The inevitable results are thoughts of worry and insecurity and anxiety, guilt, fear, discouragement. You get it. Your thoughtful attention through conversation will be things like, um, Hey, Lord, uh, and I I did this uh, just the other day. Lord, help the gas station attendant to look at me when I say thanks, when he hands me back my credit card so that he will see one friendly face today. See, I'm talking to God and I'm thinking of someone else. Lord, in the next hour, help me to see some way in which I can encourage someone. Lord, have you seen this sunset? Nice job. (laughs) Thoughtful attention. When that focus shifts from me to God, from you to God, all of a sudden, you begin to sense gratitude and hope and confidence and love. See, God wants you to receive his love and then he wants you to love him back. I love God back when I focus my thoughtful attention, my mind on him. Focus your attention back onto him. Second thing. I love God back when I passionately express my affection for him. Expressing my affection. This is loving God with your heart and with your soul. Look, for some of you, this is kind of difficult because you grew up in families a lot of times that weren't really very affection, weren't really expressive, weren't really ver- you know verbally expressive at least. They didn't say I love you a lot, so it's not really easy for you to express affection to God without feeling weird. Don't you know somebody? Everybody knows somebody like this who says I love you all the time. Everybody has someone somebody in their family I love you, and and you kind of they say you know okay I love you, and you go. Yeah, right back at you. <laughs> or ditto. You know, it's like, I, eh, yeah, sometimes people have difficulty. But we're going to have to learn how to grow. If we're going if, if to grow, we're going to have to learn how to develop, how to say, I love you to God. Maybe you've never said that to anybody. Maybe, maybe we've always been afraid that if we say it and that person doesn't say it back, oh my goodness, how stupid will I feel? But the thing about God is, he's taken away that risk. He said it first. God said it first to you. God has already said in a thousand ways, I love you. He created you, he's taking care of you. Even when you didn't know it, he was showing love to you. God has said over and over and over to you, I love you. So you don't have to worry about who's if who's going to say it first? He already has. First John chapter four, verse nineteen says this: "We love him, why? Because he first loved us." The Bible says God wants to be loved. Have you ever said, "I love you," to God? God wants to hear that from you. It's part of loving God back. So when you get up every morning before you get out of bed, sit on the edge of your bed, say something like this. You just say a little prayer. Say, God, if I don't get anything else done today, at the end of this day, I want to know you a little bit better and I want to love you a little bit more. If you knock off the 35 things on your to-do list and you accomplish great things on a Tuesday, if at the end of that day you don't know God a little bit better and you don't love him a little bit more, then though he's, he's continued to express his love to you, you've not loved him back. You were not put on this earth to check things off your to-do list. The first reason God puts you on earth is for you to know him, and then to understand his love, and then for you to love him back. And you do it by focusing your attention, by expressing your affection, to God. I know some of you are thinking, you're saying, and you're my pastor, Tim. This thing about loving God. Whoa, you hit a nerve with me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna admit it right now. Now I see it. I think you're right. I, I, I just don't love God enough. Listen, if you say that to me, you haven't really heard what I'm saying. I have not been saying over the last two weeks that your problem is that you don't love God enough. I'm saying that you don't realize how much God loves you. See, that's the problem. God wants you to receive his love, and once you understand that and you have received it, you've loved, you'll have begin to love him back. Because if you really knew how much God loves and cares about every detail of your life, you'd throw yourself at him and you'd go, oh, man, how could I not love a God like that? giving him mindful, thoughtful attention and my soulful, passionate affection. How can I not do that? God wants you to receive his love and love him back. Liz Curtis Higgs was one of the best-known disc jockeys in America. Howard Stern was the AM show and Liz Curtis Higgs was the PM show on a station in Detroit, Michigan when she was in her 20s. By her own testimony, Liz lived a really wild lifestyle without God, without thinking twice about him on any given day. And one day, Howard Stern said to Liz, Howard Stern said to Liz, you know, girl, you need to clean up your act. Now, that really says something if Howard Stern is saying that to you, Right. And because Liz Curtis Higgs had been burned by so many men and had her heart been broken uh, by, by so many people, she became a militant feminist. Uh, she, but, but she had a Christian girlfriend who kept inviting her to church. And one day after a long, long time, Liz, she finally said, Okay, I'm gonna go to church one time with you. One time. So they arranged it Sunday, and she met her at church to be with her friend in her church for the one time. Well, that week, this you can't make this up. The pastor just happened to be teaching in Ephesians 5. It's just a normal, you know, it's what came next in the series. And he was preaching on that Bible verse that says, wives, submit yourself to your husband's <laughs> Not exactly the verse that I would have picked to make a good impression with a woman with her background, right? And she immediately, she says, by her own admission, became uptight, a little ticked off and, and angry just hearing those words. But what was she going to do? She wasn't going to embarrass her friend. So she stayed planted and she continued to listen. Then she heard later in the message, the second part of uh, uh, of, of the, the pastor's comments. And further down, uh, he read the verse, which says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, you sacrifice yourself. You give yourself for your wives just as Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for the church and died for her. Who is asked to give their life up? Well, in that passage, who is it? The husband or the wife? It's it's a husband, right? Well, listen, when, when, when Liz heard that part, she leaned over to her friend who were invited her to church, and she whispered a little, little cynically. She said, well, shoot, I'd, I'd gladly give myself to any man if I knew he would die for me. And her friend leaned over and said, Liz, there is a man who loved you enough to die for you. His name is Jesus Christ. That's how much he loves you. Well, it was not long after that Liz dropped her guard, surrendered her life to God in love, and became a believer. Today, she's a a very well-known Christian author and and speaker. Just Google her name. Among her books are Bad Girls of the Bible and its sequel, Really Bad Girls of the Bible. (laughs) And the overall message of uh, both of them is the same. Good girls, bad girls, they both need a savior. The goodness of your present life can't open the door of heaven for you. And the badness of your past life won't keep you out either. See, God wants you to receive his love. And then he wants you to love him back. I love God back when I focus my thoughtful attention, my mind on him. I love God back when I passionately express my affection for him. To love him mindfully with our attention and soulfully with my passionate affection. But Jesus mentioned one more way to worshiply show our love for God. Worshiply show how to love him back. I love God back when I use my abilities for Him. This is loving God with your strength. He wants practical expressions of love. Uh, sometimes there are chores to be done, sometimes there are things that need to be fixed, sometimes there are errands to be run, sometimes there are responsibilities to be shared, no doubt. And that's the practical thing where I use my abilities to show this is not just words. I really do love you. And and, and, and I'm showing it by my actions in practical way, practical ways, Lord, fixing, helping, serving, sharing, th- those kinds of things. That is part of loving him back too. Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, and he said this. He said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. (laughs) Now listen, if you get this verse, it will absolutely revolutionize your life. You'll You'll never be the same once you understand this verse. Notice it again. Whatever you do, Paul wrote, that means anything. Work at it with all your heart, as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. You see, you don't have to join a monastery to love God back. Some of you will say, if I'm going to love God back through worship, then I should have a quiet time with God five hours a day. No, you don't need to do that. Well, then I should come to church whenever the doors are open, right? No, you don't need to do that either. It's not about that. You just change who you're working for. And when you change who you're working for, your work becomes an expression of love and it becomes a way to love God back. You see, many of you compartmentalize your life saying, okay, here's my worship. I go to church once a week. Maybe I go to a life group once a week and maybe I have a daily time where I'm reading a little bit every day about God and trying to learn from him. And that's my worship and then it's over. I've got my career over here. I've got my social life over here. I've got my God life over here, my worship life there. No, no. God says you can love me back in whatever you are doing. In fact, invite me into all those areas, please. You know, in life, it's it's not what you do that matters so much. It's who you do it for. You give it all to God, and all of your work can be turned into worship. Doesn't matter if you're an accountant, a teacher, a truck driver, a homemaker, a butcher, or a baker. You can do it for God. You say, uh, "I'm going to do this." Is if I'm doing it for you, God? That's that's your prayer. It really, doesn't matter what you do. It's who you do it for. God. I'm going to repair, repair things this week as if I'm repairing it for you. God, I'm going I'm to cook this meal, whether it's for my family or for a restaurant, as if I'm preparing the meal for you. And that turns your strength, your work, into loving God back. And then you're worshiping God 24 hours a day, not just in church. Showing love to God uh, because of who he is and what he has done for you is not just to be a church thing. He wants it to be your whole life thing, to worship God with your life. Do all you do to the glory of God. Romans 12 says, as an offering, as an offering, is that word again? We said, offer is the essence of worship, of loving God back. I'm offering my life to you. Now, what if you decided today, you said, God, tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back to work. And it's the same old work I've been doing for 10 or 20 years or whatever. But this time, I'm going back with a brand new boss. I'm going to do uh, what I normally do as an expression of loving you back that will turn mundane, trivial things that don't seem to mean a whole lot into an act, a literal act of worship, of loving God back. And honestly, that's the kind of worship that God loves. You see, real worship is a lifestyle. When you understand how passionate He is about you, how much God loves you, how much He cares about every detail, You cannot help but love God. And when you begin to love God, you will want to express that love in word and in deed. You know what that's called? Worship. The Bible says God loves you. And it says that you were made to know and to love God. Paul said, so we make it our goal to please him. That's not a bad little goal for life. (laughs) It really isn't. God wants you to receive his love. And then he wants you to love him back. Half a dozen years or so ago, Mark Joseph writing in the Huffington Post, which, by the way, those of you who don't know, the Huffington Post will never be confused with a Christian or conservative publication. Just want to just... Want to do that proviso. Anyway, uh, Mark Joseph wrote this. He said, the next time I see people with their eyes closed and hands raised to God and begin to think it's strange, I will remind myself that the desire to worship and praise is a universal one, that there's nothing strange about it at all, and that one way or another, whether it's in church, at an Obama rally, a NASCAR race, or a Motley Crue reunion concert, most of us do it, and all things being equal, I'd say the God of the universe is more deserving of that praise than Nikki Six or Jeff Gordon. He is. God wants you to receive his love and to love him back. It is his call to you today. Decide this day to offer yourselves to him, to love God back for all that he is and all that he's done. So Father, we pray that uh, that would be our heart's cry. Teach us, O God, through the words of Jesus. Teach us to love you, O Father, with all our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, our fiber. Show us how to do that, God. Instruct us from the words today, from, uh, from your scriptures, we pray. And uh, we pray that we would learn, even this week, not only how much you love us, but how to love you back. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.